it's not a hype thing, but it kind of is. You consumerist monster. <laughs> I know. Nine ninety nine on Amazon, worth every penny. Hello, welcome to Simply Faithful, a place for Christian conversations without the hype. We're here to discuss life, faith, and ministry with each other and with other interesting people. Our desire is to save you a spot at the table so you can join us. Here at Simply Faithful, we're hoping to begin conversations about Christianity that continue on in your friendships and in your lives. This week's topic, what's wrong with hype anyway? Well, hey there again. My name is Gray Ewing, and I'm a pastor in Phoenix, Arizona, pastor of New Valley Church in downtown Phoenix, and I'm here with my good friend Eric, who is also a pastor. Eric, why don't you say hi and introduce yourself? Yep, I'm Eric Tunges. I am a pastor of Kishwaukee Community Evangelical Presbyterian Church near Rockford, Illinois. Eric and I have uh, been friends, I guess, coming up here on like 15 years uh, since since college and um, yeah. I've had a chance to have a lot of conversations. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Uh stayed connected uh through through uh college and then through seminary uh together and we're both uh Christian pastors. We like to talk about these things and um recently we were just talking about how it was actually in a trip that Eric was taking to my house just a few weeks ago. He and I were talking about how we, we kind of find ourselves in the middle position on a lot of issues in the Christian world today. So we hear a lot of things. We have hashtags that are trending. We have, you know, movements of different church movements, and it's this kind of church or that kind of church or this book, this radical concept. Um, and we were just kind of talking about our exhaustion uh, with, with some of those things and decided to start uh, some conversations here to kind of talk through what does it mean to just be simply faithful to the message that Jesus has given us, and how can we, as we talk, really get at that that faithfulness idea rather than just jumping on bandwagons left and right. And so we wanted to start this place to have those conversations, Christianity without the hype, so to speak. And to get things started today, uh, we wanted to talk about what this idea of hype actually is. What does it mean to have Christianity without the hype, and what is what is the hype that that we're actually talking about. And so, Eric, as, as you and I were talking about it, uh, we, we kind of use that word hype. What do, you, what do you mean by that, that term? I think what I really mean, it obviously has a narrow focus of a set of things that both of us feel kind of turned off by. But what I mean beyond the kind of narrow commercial, like, overdone thing is just the tendency of people to give answers that are too simple to the questions of the day. I think that oftentimes people fall into this trap where they see these challenges and they find some maybe even true or helpful solution to some specific situation. And then they end up taking that one thing and treating it as if like it can solve every situation or as if it's the only truth or the only strategy that they need to address challenges in the Christian life. As opposed to like just like a... a staying true to what's kind of delivered once to all for the saints. Is that what you mean? That in part, yes. So so part of it is that there's a, a set of like old kind of things, but also a set of things that 
in some ways are kind of necessarily more complicated. Like the question of how do I flourish as a Christian kind of is, you know, it takes the whole Bible to answer to that question. And so to act like a couple of steps or catchphrases can can provide you with a full flourishing Christian life uh, is reductionistic. Right. I totally know what you mean. I think we might we need to give a couple of examples because uh, you know people might not know what we mean by this hype concept. So, what comes to your mind when you think about some recent movements that um, that were kind of hype in your mind? Sure. So, the the most obvious things that present is the tendency for people, whether they're talking about something like the church and ministry, or whether they're even talking about something like a theological question or a question of personal spirituality to take an idea and then kind of package it as the thing. So it's, it's super common at the church level discussion. I, it's weird as a pastor, you get like spam emails and phone calls and stuff that are trying to sell you on like, here's how to fix this thing. Here's how to like grow your church or get people to give more or whatever. And it's this this very pragmatic, very reductionistic, like, here's the strategy that will fix everything for you. And usually it's because somewhere there was one church where this strategy worked at. And then the assumption is like, oh, well, therefore we got to package this thing and sell it. And if everybody applies it, then it's going to work that way. I think sometimes it, it does have that sinister approach, you know, like the, we're going to need to sell something like that's a little sinister in my mind. Sometimes it's, it's that something has been really helpful to someone, you know, like, they discovered like maybe a way of doing life or a way of doing ministry that really worked in their context. And then it just kind of seems obvious to them when they look at scripture that, or they look at the church that this is the solution for everyone. And that's kind of wrongheaded often because our contexts are so different. Sure. And it's like important, I think, to stress, I mean, A, you're just probably more gracious than I am by temperament, which is good. But I think it's important to stress <laughs> that by hype, I don't mean that those things aren't true. It's just that I don't even remember who I heard commenting on the fact that a lot of preachers, especially if they don't really let scripture inform and shape what they're going to preach on each Sunday, they really have like three sermons, right? Because in their life, they've encountered a couple of ideas and they're probably true biblical ideas, but that have been really powerful for them. And they have a tendency to just say those two or three things over and over and over rather than recognize that Sometimes for some people in some places, those things are going to be helpful, but also that there's a whole bunch of other things that need to be said. That's right. I can think we could probably, you and I could probably write a book like the, the missing element that we haven't seen is that the stones in scripture or something like some kind of object in scripture are like the key to all these different things. And like, if we had just paid attention to the way that, you know, scripture uses this idea of the stone or something like that, uh, it would be you know, unlock basically our understanding of all of scripture or something like that. Like that's a really trivial example, but. Or like there was this obscure prayer in the Old Testament that people, you know, <laughs> if they suddenly started praying would get blessings. Something no one would ever think of like that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It would not sell millions of copies and still be the bane of existence for lots of pastors. Certainly. That's the extreme form of it. But I want to be clear that I don't think that it's it's not just that, and that's why I'm resistant to to just grouping it in with the sort of big flashy stuff. Like, I was talking to a guy who's a pastor. He was filling in at a pulpit as an interim thing for this little struggling church while he was looking and moving towards his next call, and it was in the, the 
RPCNA, which is this tiny denomination that's known for its one distinctive thing, which is that they only sing psalms and they do it without instrumental accompaniment. And they really believe that that's biblical. And one of the things he commented to me, I mean, I hear that and I'm like, I disagree with that from the outside. I'm like, it's an interesting eccentricity, I guess. But what he was commenting to me was that being in the middle of it, what what really kind of disturbed him was that every conversation he would have with people about the church or Christianity in America from this church, every one of them somehow ended up being for those people about exclusively singing a cappella somnity. For them, like that thing, which even if you agreed with it, that thing had come to so dominate the spiritual landscape for them that they weren't able to see all of the other challenges and ways that they needed to engage and issues that were going on. Yeah. And certainly we're not above all this ourselves. There's there's little ways that we can fall into these traps as well. Really, what's the big deal about that? I mean, if if that were the case, what's what's wrong with that? And really what would be if if we do this over and over again, what are the results that happen to the church in your opinion? Like what's the danger of this? I feel like there's a lot of them. But two that come to my mind immediately are that one uh, has a tendency to treat, if, if all you've got is a hammer, then you tend to treat everything like it's a nail. And I think that when we become so focused on a couple of simple ideas rather than trying to really hold them in tension with a bunch of other things and be growing and growing in our understanding of Christianity, we have a tendency to try to use those things in situations that they're just not actually very helpful or they're not actually going to to have the impact that we want them to have. I think about that a lot with things like church strategies where you just, I mean, as you, as you talk and watch people in different places and ministering in different churches, that a lot of the, the strategies and approaches that people talk about are super interesting and might well be super useful at one subset of churches but when you shift region or demographics or just the story of a place or what other churches are around or 50 other things, suddenly that strategy just doesn't work here. And if you try to use that strategy here, suddenly you're just going to be taking, you know, taking the, the screw and banging on it with the hammer and it's not going to be particularly effective. Right. It tends to have also a cringe factor to it later. Now, to some extent, all of our graphics that we use at church or, you know, ways of saying things, they, they're going to have a little bit of cringe to them. But it's amazing the shelf life that some some ideas have. And you look back and you think, man, that would that would fall flat so much today if we, if we did that again. And that's that's kind of the it's kind of exhausting to think about chasing all these these different things. You know, I'm thinking about uh, I recently saw there's a church in Texas because it was March last couple months ago, they did the March Madness church service or a, a series in March on March Madness, and they did the whole basketball court set up in their church. So they made a full court uh, basketball court. You know, I, I know this is an extreme example. We're not just talking about extremes, but it was interesting that even the people in the crowd that were there, there's some really painful YouTube videos of of the pastor coming out and just asking people to be impressed with their setup and everybody's just kind of lightly clapping and it's falling flat completely because uh, it's just such an obvious move towards towards culture being the first thing rather than like a faithfulness being and we all do this in subtle ways but that's just like so obvious and it really if we do this often it it leads to our faith looking very 
contrived and and kind of flat. Yeah, I mean, and one of the one of the reasons I think that is is because the other issue with hype is that there's a sort of timelessness that appropriately belongs to Christianity. Even though we should be relevant and timely in the ways that we communicate and engage with the world, we have to recognize that. And one of the dangers of really trying to just appeal to the moment at all costs is that it ends up costing us and the people in our churches and and the world that's looking on in the long term in terms of how they perceive Christianity because they perceive it as something that is much simpler than it actually is or as something that is sort of like well we tried that and you know we moved on from that and we're we're on to this other thing now i often think about the fact jonathan edwards back when he's talking about the first great awakening and defending it he was this um, puritan and pastor and author but it's interesting to watch him defend the first great awakening because when he says well is this a genuine revival what he says is actually in a sense like i can't really tell for sure like here's some reasons that i think it might be but really the only test of revival is perseverance like 20 years from now if these people are continuing and growing in discipleship and getting deeper and loving jesus then that will show that this was a real kind of movement of god and that's the kind of time frame I think we always want to be thinking about in ministry. And most of the hype-based strategies don't actually do a good job of growing people for 20 years. Yeah, and I can I can see someone making that counter-argument, right? Especially like a historical situation like the Great Awakening, or if we look back to the Reformation, there are there are places in our history where things change. There is there's an update in the faith in a, in a big historical way. And someone might say, well, what's the difference between those types of movements and, and like hype? Is it just that they happen to be big enough that, that they stood the test of time in terms of remembering it? Or what are the, what are the markers that you're looking for that would separate a good change, a good update, a good I don't really like that word update, but yeah, basically change in the church world that would not be hype. How would you know the difference? Sure. So I would say, first of all, on some level, that it's going to be hard in the middle of it sometimes to know what's going on. But the thing about, let's take the Reformation as our test case. There is actually a sort of hype-based way of engaging with the Reformation. There's this tendency of some people to take just that like, oh, we're saved by faith rather than works. And that that idea is somehow the sum of everything that was going on in that movement. And then they try to hang the entire weight of Christian theology and life on that one idea. And that's a true idea that I agree with. And it was an idea that was reclaimed during the Reformation. But if you read the Reformers, you see there's actually... The reason that there's this dramatic thing happening is because they are engaging with the sort of breadth of Christian life. I... I'm looking at my bookshelf right now and I have this like massive four volume set of confessions and, and catechisms written just in the first like 150 years after the Reformation by people trying to work through all of theology and questions of authority and questions of Christian living and questions of what it means to be the church and questions of things like justification by faith. And I think that that's a sign, one a sign at least, that breadth and that kind of engagement with scripture all across the range of areas that it touches that would tell us that, um, yeah, that it's not just a hype movement. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of the historical that it verifies itself and also that it deals with real subjects and real things over real time. I, I like that. 
it does bring up a, a good point as well that I think that the reason that people are attracted to the hype, and we all are in a sense, is because we want our faith to be interesting and to be helpful to where we are. And so there's a sense that if we follow trends, it's it, they're trends for a reason, right? They're, they're scratching an itch. They're, people are hearing what they want to hear. And, uh, and we believe that Christianity should be interesting and engaging as well. And not just, you know, what we're not advocating here, some kind of stodginess, like that, that we should just turn our nose up at every interesting thing that comes along, new developments, be they knowledge, like idea kind of developments or technologies or anything like that. So how do you see us engaging interestingly with the Christian faith without it being hype? Sure. So there's actually a lot of things going on in that question, because I think it confuses a couple of different categories that we need to keep separate. So one, let me just try to walk through a couple of different Mm -hmm. categories that are contained there. First of all, there's this question of just, is our faith comprehensible? Is it some, sometimes people use the term relevant, but just like, do people in our world understand the words that we're saying and the truths we're trying to communicate and what the claims of Christianity are. And there are plenty of times where that's not the case. And when that's not the case, that is just fundamentally a failing in the missionary calling of being a Christian. And we should not confuse that with hype. Then the second question is about creativity and can we kind of be creative in ways that are coming out of that relevance to try to be engaging or intriguing to the current moment and the answer to that question is just sort of, it's complicated, I think. It's, it's yes, absolutely, in some cases. But one of the dangers is that, honestly, a lot of the kind of hyped movements are not particularly creative. What they're doing is they're just taking something they see someone else doing and aping it, oftentimes poorly. When you take like one of those like big secular ideas, even within, say, the business world, what you often see happen is somebody comes up with this idea and do it well, and then a bunch of other people just try to kind of rip it off and not do it as well. And we don't want to do that with our faith. So, so when it comes to creativity, we need to be asking this whole set of questions about, am I in what I'm doing, really doing something that's helpful to what I'm trying to communicate in terms of Christianity? Or am I just trying to do something to impress people or put on a show or be sort of a Christian dressed version of something that people can get a better version of from the world? And that really then starts to bleed into the last issue, I think, which is that one of the things that often gets missed in a lot of these conversations is that the whole idea of almost all of these things is like, well, here's this question in the world or this problem that we have and how do we answer it? And that's good, but there's a good kind of Christian element where we want to say like our first posture is one of trying to ask the questions of the world, is one of trying to come to the world and say to it, hey, this whole way of thinking that you have, what if that's not how things work? And one of the dangers of a lot of hype-based movements is that they don't do that. They just say, oh yeah, we're going to assume that everything that you believe is basically correct we're not going to think anything that's really weird or interesting or different. And then we're going to try to make Christianity appeal to you on those terms. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying. And I, I think about like G.K. Chesterton's Orthodoxy. You know, it's a masterwork, just a short little book. If you haven't picked it up, you should. But, you know, truly, his mind is so creative, right? It's just it's just over over the whole book. You can, you can tell that. Same with C.S. Lewis and other writers. But 
what he's trying to do in that book is say basically how everything that he longed for brought him back to the creed. And so it's this super engagement with real questions that he had uh, as a uh, non-Christian and then how in discovering the the real faith, you know, it brought him back to to what the church has kind of always taught. And I think that in some ways that's that is a, that is a good test as well. It's like we're engaging with things. There's interesting things that are coming up. There's questions about you know politics and sexuality and and all kinds of things that the Christian faith needs to address. But in a sense, we're creatively engaging those things to bring us back to what we believe has always been true, and in a fresh way sometimes, but not in a stodgy way, but in a real way that is that's faithful to the calling that we've been given from from Jesus. That also though highlights something that I think is important because a lot of those current conversations that you just named, those are good conversations that we need to be engaged in. But like, we got to talk about biblical views of human sexuality and how we understand that in a way that makes sense to people in the modern world. One of the traps you can fall into is that if what modernity wants to talk about is like Christian views of sex, well, we need to answer those questions and be biblically faithful in how we answer them. What we want to talk about is Jesus. You know, like we want to end up talking about Jesus and the good news of his death and resurrection. And that's going to require a willingness to say, like, we're going to meet you kind of in this place, but we want to make sure that we're not just giving you a couple of easy answers to your questions to make you okay with Christianity. What we're trying to do is really move the conversation towards the conversation about what Chesterton would call the, the the creed, but about that central story of scripture and what it communicates about ourselves and the universe and God. That's right. Yeah. And there's there's obviously a limit to to how much we we let the terms of the debate be dictated by whatever the questions that people have are. Like just because people are wondering about everything doesn't mean we base our whole ministry about on on these kind of questions, uh, we address them. But I think you actually said this to me uh, once. You, it's it's important that we see that the church has questions of people, not just the people have questions of the church. So when we preach and teach and are trying to be faithful, there's a natural thing where we're being instructed, not just instructed on the right questions, not just on answering the questions that we have. One one more question for you, Eric. Uh, let's throw. A curveball here in, in the end, and um, and then we'll move on to our, our next segment. I would say I, w- I wanted to ask, what do you think this podcast, for instance, and I know that we're tr- that we're doing this as an extension of our ministries. How would that be different than a hype based movement? What kinds of things are you excited to talk about that will get us back to the kind of simply faithful approach? What are the things that are, that are coming to your mind that you're kind of most excited about? Well, first of all, I don't think that this will be a hype-based movement because you, well, we didn't discuss it. The other thing you need to have hype is to have people who are hyped about it. And so, you know, I'm not too worried about that. (laughs) But I think that the key to pursuing Christian faithfulness in a way that doesn't, that doesn't boil down to just hype rests on two things. One, it rests on an appreciation of just the historic belief and breadth of belief of the church. And often it means of whatever your theological tradition is, the ways you kind of drill down into that and try to grow in your understanding of scripture and of God in those ways, because scripture does not give super easy answers really to 
any question. Rather, it tends to give answers that touch on a bunch of different things or that try to cover a spectrum of the realities of life in ways that I think are really helpful to be really anchored in the kind of historic complexity that, that does exist within Christianity. And then secondly, it's just being very, very mindful when we address the questions of our day of Martin Luther talks about this danger of being like a drunk peasant trying to get on a horse, which is to say that he he's on one side of the horse and he thinks, well, it's no good over here. And so he just jumps up onto the horse and topples off onto the other side and thinks that he's somehow better off over there. And then he tries to get back on and falls back onto the first side, which is to say that rather than just sort of taking one answer clinging to it, thinking it's all we need, and then when it kind of fails us, abandoning it and adopting some other simplistic answer, trying to find that place where we listen to all sides of a different discussion and say, well, here's how all of that kind of fits together. I like that. That's good. We're going to move now into our final segment, which is what is good or what's good. And uh, Eric and I are going to be sharing kind of the things that we're into, enjoying um, what's been recently good for us. And uh, I'll let Eric kick it off for us. You have something that has been good for you recently? Uh, what, I'll, what I'll talk about this week is an album by Lucy Dacus. I am actually not sure how to say her last name. She is not a believer, although she clearly has a lot of background within evangelicalism. The album's called Historian, and it came out last year. It's a singer-songwriter kind of thing. But I've just been really intrigued by a number of the songs on it. There's this idea that comes from this guy named Charles Taylor, that what it means to live in kind of a secular world like we do now is really to live in a world where on the one hand, if you're a believer, you feel this kind of pressure from the fact that there are people that don't believe or that believe other things that are all around you. And so it's not as easy to believe, but that if you're not a believer, that you also are kind of haunted by the reality of belief and by the fact that you are aware of this kind of deeper reality of the world. And this album just has really struck me as being something deeply haunted in a lot of ways by God and by Christianity and in ways that I find really intriguing and enlightening. So what's the what's the singer it's again? Lucy. And what's the name of the album? D A C U S is her last name and historian. Yours is way more spiritual than mine. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, what have you got? This is really silly, but there has been something that has been bringing me a lot of joy. Speaking of hype, this is a this is a Marie Kondo thing for me. It sparks joy. If you don't know that reference, look it up. I have been really into carrying around a pencil and pen and highlighter holder uh, <laughs> that has been really good. I'm serious. Now, th this is a thing. There's a there's pencil guys and girls, and there's pen guys and girls, and there's all these sub-movements, and I'm, I'm just getting into this a little bit. It's, it's good. Um, so I've got my pen case carried around with me everywhere I go, micron pens, 
some great highlighters and just seeing them all there organized and, and lovely in front of me is, has been, has been a good thing bringing order to my world. So that's been good. Uh, it is a remember case from Amazon. So that's, what's good to me right now. See, I, I just put them in my pocket and then they like stab holes through the bottom of my pocket and start to fall out or explode in my pocket and stain it with ink or any number of other things. But yeah, I, yeah, you can take your newfangled holder and yeah, actually I'm probably going to look that up and buy one right after we get done recording here. <laughs> That's right. It will bring peace and joy. Yeah. It, it's not a hype thing, but it kind of is as pencil holders are becoming a, a bigger thing. You consumerist monster. <laughs> I know. 9.99 on Amazon worth every penny. Well, brother, uh it's been it's been good to chat and uh I'm really excited about, you know, what this is going to be and and uh having these conversations with you and it's always good to just have an excuse to talk anyway. Absolutely. I am looking forward to continuing the conversation as well. Thanks again for joining us. If you enjoyed the discussion, there are a few things you can do to help us. Most importantly, you, you can keep the conversation going. Find a friend or two, or maybe you can just do it in your own head. Keep the conversation going some kind of way. Find some food and drink and ask what someone else thinks. You can also join us online at our newly uh, minted website, simplyfaithful.org, simplyfaithful.org. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And I believe our handles there are Simply Faithful as well. If you share something there that's especially helpful, we might even talk about it in an upcoming episode. We would also appreciate it if you would rate us on your podcast marketplace of choice. And most importantly, of course, if this is a conversation you want to join into, share it with your friends. Until next time, I'm Gray. I'm Eric. And this has been Simply Faithful. Until next time, I'm Gray. I'm Eric. And this has been Simply Faithful. Simply Faithful. <laughs> I can't. I, I wasn't fast enough.